0: fall is here there's a chill in the air and the anomaly film festival is right around the corner it's november 8th through the 12th at the little theater in rochester new york check it out at anomalyfilmfest.com it's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films action sci-fi horror dark comedy and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen it's anomaly film fest at the little theater november 8th through 12th anomalyfilmfest.com Masters of Couch Potato Style Punches and Popcorn.
1: Hello, and welcome to our first ever episode of Punches and Popcorn. Uh, We're us five, four tonight. masters of the art of couch potato style. We'll dive into some of the best of martial arts cinema from the past, present, and I guess we can't do the future right yet, guys, but can always maybe. talk about trailers. That, That's true. Well, you know, dream high, aim high, and mm-hmm. uh, without further ado, <laughs> welcome again. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, let me just do a brief intro to our team here, our crew of these masters of couch potato style uh, i'm your host mike and let's meet the rest of our crew uh jason
2: do i just want me to go right to my intro <laughs> right. well this is the first time so i feel like i can ask questions like
1: yeah of course yeah, right questions are
2: um, yeah i mean you just, we were looking for an introduction to to jason is what i think we're we're looking for <laughs> okay so i mean i'm just a big movie fan um you asked me to do this with you and i was more than happy uh to do that because um i guess a blind spot for me is kung fu filmed and um it's always been uh, a real spot of, of guilt and shame for me so this is a great opportunity to dive into that uh, and i'm looking forward to the journey with you gentlemen
1: excellent well we're super excited to have you and not to sell yourself short jason is uh, one of the most brilliant film minds that i know so we're pleased to have him with us uh next up our producer and our magic man the dreaded matt Knotts.
0: oh man that's a lot to live up to hey thanks for having me i'm super stoked to be here uh giant martial arts film fan and uh you know i like doing podcasts too
1: yes all fun things thank you matt and our professor the powerful the walking weapon professor of anatomy brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt are you brown 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 belt yeah Yeah, i i said i would get that wrong and he would literally break me dr dom here is the walking weapon walking weapon (laughs) introduce
3: yourself to our to our new friends here (laughs) do i need to like uh i I don't know (laughs) it was pretty awesome (laughs) like i think you should just be my hype man you're my (laughs) flavor I wouldn't necessarily call myself a walking weapon, more like a martial arts hobbyist. I do love action movies, I do love martial arts movies, and I'm excited to get into this because I I know some kung fu movies, but I'm I'm just excited to start analyzing, um, you know, which the the kind of movies that you guys are interested in and, and expanding my boundaries here. And um, I also hope that, you know, the fact that I'm a martial artist, at least a hobbyist, can contribute a little bit to this so thanks for having me i appreciate it and i'm um, looking forward to it
1: yes nice. so this mighty crew we have here will to be even I wouldn't mightier call
3: myself a weapon i wouldn't call myself a weapon you know <laughs> a blunt instrument maybe like a screwdriver like that's not you know not really a, a weapon, weapon. <laughs> are you sure dom specializes right? in
1: the art of fighting without fighting right <laughs> <laughs> well done yeah so this is just uh our crew but not fully assembled we're missing our our fifth man our second of our double jason power here uh who will be hopefully joining us on our next session us five tonight four deadly podcasters will dive into the world of martial arts film and just excited to share this uh love and joy we all get from these awesome films so to start off this uh, entire adventure we thought that a uh, what better starting point is there for diving into martial arts cinema than enter the dragon? So uh, we're just gonna dive into that right now, and uh, yeah, let's go. As you can tell, we uh, most of us are professional experienced podcasters
3: here, so <laughs> at least twenty five percent right. <laughs> uh, this is all my right. first podcast ever, so like <laughs> Save. Can I say? Can I say we're popping my podcast cherry, or is that not allowed? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah.
3: You know,
0: <laughs> don't, don't all look at me at once. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So, um, before we can even begin to talk about Enter the Dragon, which again, for most people, I think it's fair to say, in America, Western movies. When you talk about martial arts movies. Enter the Dragon is generally the one movie everybody knows, everybody thinks of, uh, you know, it's influenced and shaped the image of what martial arts movies are and kind of their space in the movie world uh, really ever since it came out. so. We thought this is a great place for us to start, and as we'll dig into tonight, there's a lot of really interesting crossways uh, and roads that Enter the Dragon kind of goes through and leads us in and opens up that throughout our adventures, exploring this awesome and wonderful and diverse genre of film. Uh, You know, a lot of this will either start from or cross through Enter the Dragon. So without further ado, we're going to start talking about Enter the Dragon, Uh, but before we can even talk about Enter the Dragon, we really have to talk about Bruce Lee, because really, I think for all of us, it's probably fair to say when we think Enter the Dragon, we think Bruce Lee, and I think even at a more general level, when we talk about martial arts movies or kung fu movies, the majority of people, the image that immediately comes to mind is Bruce Lee, so it's impossible, I think, to start talking about this movie or really start talking about martial arts movies at all without talking about Bruce Lee. So uh, just a real brief thing, again, I throughout the our career here of digging into these movies, we'll surely go through numerous Bruce movies and talk about Bruce at length in other areas. So I don't wanna blow everything out. Bruce here we will have a lot of opportunities. Uh, again, just a really short, brief introduction. Bruce Lee was born in 1940 in San Francisco, only lived in San Francisco for a few months before he immigrated back to Hong Kong, where his parents were from. Uh, His father was a notable and well-known Chinese opera singer at the time. And Bruce, back in China, uh, just shortly before the Japanese occupation, that then was kind of what he was born into, uh, was brought onto film, into the entertainment world from a really early age. I think I read somewhere that he actually had his first film role was his like a baby being carried on to screen. So from a really early age, Bruce was in the Hong Kong television and movie world. Yeah, he was I, a good Actor, right? Right. He was really no really well-known child star. It was like a Corey Haim or a Lindsay Lohan, but he kept it together. Right. And I actually read, so he started there, you know, but also trained, uh, Trained in martial arts. He was known as a fighter, kind of on the streets, um, but also trained. And, uh, you know, we'll get into more like his martial arts stuff there in the future. And uh, he was trained, as a lot of people know, and there's been endless movies about, trained by the legendary Yip Man.
2: Yes. Um,
1: Movies. Yes. So we'll, and we'll talk about those. I'm sure we'll cover more than a few of those movies. Um, But when he started doing kung fu movies, I read this somewhere that, uh, once he started doing action film, you no, know, Hong Kong for these his child roles, that the the book, uh, Hong Kong Action Cinema, is the name of the book I got this from, like to quote our sources here, uh, said that it, him doing action movies was like, would be like for someone our age, and again, we're middle aged gentlemen, seeing McCallie Culkin do Rambo 4. So, it was really unexpected for the people.
3: But, but uh, By the way, I'm totally in for Macaulay Culkin in, in the next Rambo movie. So, can we do that, please?
1: I would like to Rambo see Six. Macaulay Culkin do Terminator. Yeah. Like, be another, let's do another Terminator, and I want it to be Macaulay Culkin.
0: If Bob it's Odenkirk can do nobody.
3: That's <laughs> <not totally right. laughs> like, I mean, Hold Alone? Yeah. I mean, we could just do a remake of Home Alone, but with lots of ninjas and weapons, and he just goes ballistic and kills everyone. I That's a, you know, I, for f- pinning this for future
1: conversation, is Home Alone a martial arts movie? We won't get into that now. Future conversation, maybe future special episode. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll, get there. We'll, get there. we'll get there. We got a long, many journeys to travel. But before then, back to Bruce. Uh, so, Bruce. I originally was known as a child actor, um, but quickly got into uh, using his extensive martial arts experience. Got into martial arts roles, and because he was uh, born in America, he had that dual American and Hong Kong citizenship. Um, somewhat, I burst onto the scene as an but became notable in American uh, the American entertainment space. Uh, acting as Cato in the Green Hornet TV show. So he was somewhat notable from there, but as a side character and, uh, found that when he, when he was ready to start being a lead American action movies, uh, the studios here weren't really receptive to him. So he went back to Hong Kong to make movies. Uh, one of the interesting things, I don't know if I had heard this before, but, uh, the famous, uh, David Carradine role, Hong Kong, the, or Hong Kong, Yao. That's getting edited out. Don't isolate that. <laughs> uh, nope. The famous TV show Kung Fu was actually created um, by the producers of this film that we're going to talk about tonight, Fred Weintraub, uh, for Bruce Lee, that the, entire, the concept of the show and the part that eventually went to David Carradine, was created for Bruce Lee as a vehicle to spotlight Bruce Lee. But the studios felt that with his accent uh, and the image of uh, how Asians were perceived in movies at the time, uh, the studios didn't really have... They
2: wanted a white dude, basically.
1: Right, exactly. They didn't think that an Asian guy, Bruce Lee, could carry this. So Bruce went back to Hong Kong and made a slew of killer kung fu movies that we'll certainly cover, uh, including Fist of Fury, the big boss, Way of the Dragon, where he decimated Chuck Norris. Can't wait to talk about that one someday. Um, yeah.
0: You know, I'm just glad we got Booster
1: That's uh, what I love yeah. about
2: Bruce. You know, he went away you know, to sort of just like, you know, almost like conditioning, but like uh, cultural conditioning. He just built his image up and his brand up so much that America and the studio system couldn't ignore him. Like, that's what I, it's just really inspiring. It's like, you're going to ignore me. I'm just going to go do my own thing over here. And then you're going to beg me to come back. So it's pretty inspirational.
1: It is, it is. And it's really cool. Like, like cause it took a while to get there for enter the dragon to be made. Right. Um, you know, I know that he had worked with uh, Fred Weintraub for through I think it was Game of Death, which was being recorded before this. And again, they had that connection through Kung Fu and guys. That feel free to jump in if uh, add any color on that. Um, but they were working together on that, and oh, uh, Hong Kong, Mike. Yes, that's a joke. Okay. Um, so they're working together, and uh, they brought up this movie, this this script, which was originally called Blood and Steel, which would become Enter the Dragon, and you brought this to Bruce. Bruce felt, well, this is a really good introduction. This is a great introduction to to Kung Fu for the Western world, and he, he tried selling it on uh, to Warner Brothers, who was kind of iffy on it, still weren't super sure whether this would sell with american audiences so there. bruce initiated a got golden harvest famous golden harvest who will definitely is a company that will a studio that we'll talk about at length through our journey here one of the big names in hong kong kung fu uh i mean really hong kong cinema overall golden harvest is one of the biggest studios out there um even up through the 1990 Ninja Turtle movie segue. Another movie that <laughs> we'll talk maybe talk about someday. Right, exactly. at the crossroads here. So eventually, uh, Golden Harvest got interested, and as soon as Golden Harvest was interested, uh, I think Warner Brothers got re-interested, and eventually, through some dealings with the studios, uh, Golden Harvest and Warner Brothers came together to uh, partnered on this movie that would eventually become Enter the Dragon. So Mm -hmm. uh, just a little background there on the movie and kind of where it came from. And, uh, you know, Bruce, again, knew what he had and knew that he had something that would appeal, uh, you know, and appeal to the Western audiences uh, the same way that it was already uh, super popular in Hong Kong and uh, China knew the Western audiences were ready for this. And this is the movie that he was going to use. So let's jump into it, guys. I've done enough background here, probably (laughs) way too much. Let's talk about the movie. So Enter the Dragon. Um, I'm kind of interested, before we even get into it, kind of what are your thoughts on Enter the Dragon? Like, how when do you, if you remember, like, when you first experienced this, do you remember, you know, how did you feel when you saw this? Uh, What are the kind of the lasting memories of this movie?
3: Well, if I can... um... So I grew up on 80s action movies, so like Arnold and Jean-Claude and Sly and all that stuff. Um, So I actually watched most of those movies and then watched Enter the Dragon in my late teens or maybe my early 20s. And I just remember I was like, I felt it was dated, but also so awesome (laughs) when I first watched it. Because like... Mm -hmm. What is it about movies in the early 70s where they can't have any music but that funky music? Yes. Like even Godzilla movies, even Godzilla movies from that time. They don't have the, you know, dun 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 dun, you know, they don't have that. They have like this funky like porn music. Weird <laughs> jazzy. Music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so this true. weird jazzy music. Bruce,
1: oh, I oh, was oh. just going to jump in and say that weird jazzy music, the score created by Lalo Schifrin, who also mm-hmm. did the Mission Impossible Soundtrack, Uh, dreaded Matt. Can you hit us with a little of that magic score? There we go. I love the sound. (laughs) Yeah, they got that in there. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Nothing's
1: better. (laughs) That's just a jam. That is a jam. Yeah, it
3: really is. <laughs> it's, it's great. But you got to admit, like when it's like early 2000s, late 90s, and you're watching this, you're just like, this is so dated. <laughs> it's a shock but to the system. It's a shock to the system. I was oh, like, yeah. what, like where where's like, it's just, but what I loved about it at the same time is I'm like, this might be, you know, a funky adventure, but it was just so sharp. Like, the movie's so sharp. There's, like Bruce Lee, there's no fat on this movie. Mm-hmm. It is, it seems like every step of the way is intentional, you know. There's not, I, I didn't really get bored in any parts. I didn't find the backstory to be, you know, cumbersome or anything like that. Um, I was, it, it was engrossing, and I was like, I really like this movie. It's great. And I watched it several times since, and then when you approach me, you're like, enter the dragon. And I'm like, yes, I can totally do that. So... It's huh. just, you know, it's like a dated, but epitome of what these movies should be, in my opinion. <laughs> uh-huh. Love it.
0: Love it. <laughs> I came to it just a bit, little bit later. Um as a kid i watched a bunch of chopstick theater with my dad um and that was all the old like shaw brothers stuff that they put on the usa network um so it's it's such a different style of movie than those you Mm -hmm. know because because those are more like balletic almost and this is this is basically like a a 007 movie that the bruce lee is in um yeah
3: absolutely
0: is and, and that's kind of what struck me about it you know as, as a kid i was like oh this is just like a spy movie except that guy's really way better at kicking than roger moore
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right right right
0: right <laughs> um, but yeah and, and going back and rewatching watching it there, there's more and more of that where you just watch and you're like oh yeah no he shot this just like a spy movie it's just you know it, it's it's bruce lee just being the coolest super spy in the world you know mm-hmm. Things that struck me about it, like musically, we were talking about Lalo Schifrin earlier, like the synthy parts where it almost sounds like a like a 60s horror movie in parts, that weird theremin stuff or the weird. Oh, yeah. Come
3: up. Yes.
0: Like those are the bits that get me like I I like the 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 real kind of like jazz funk stuff. But like when it gets into the the creepy theremin shit, I'm like, where? Why? How did that even (laughs) come into Uh the conversation, uh Mm -hmm. you know? So th- those are the things that strike me about this movie. And I mean, we'll we'll talk more about it obviously. We've got like another, you know, 45 minutes to really dig <laughs> into it. But but just, you know, the the, you know, 11,000 foot view of it. Like that's what it is. It's just a badass spy movie with a guy that, you know, kicks more ass than than is humanly possible.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, speaking of of Lalo, I'm a big uh score guy and he you know came from a jazz background like he was actually just a you know jazz composer before he got into films and he was doing things like like kind of iconic stuff like you mentioned mike the uh the mission impossible theme which is just so iconic and it's funny they had a meeting i was reading about this meeting between bruce and, and lalo when they were talking to him to get, get him on the movie and bruce was uh, told lalo that um he did a lot of his training to his movie score so i thought that was that really was great. yeah yeah so, Because, I mean, he did Dirty Harry, Bullet, uh, Cool Hand Luke, like all the dudes really? from that. I so. did not know. Oh, those are like yeah. all my dad's favorite movies.
3: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so
2: apparently they were Bruce's too. And this is kind of one of the reasons that, you know, Bruce was excited to get him added to the project.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it, it fits. You're right. It it'll sound like it's interesting that it has some of the, uh, you know, he put some of the Eastern touches in it. Uh, right. Where you can tell like, okay, well, this has that Asian taste to it but it also has that uh, again it's a very epic score uh yeah, it's got it's that kind of east jet.
2: meets west kind of score and it's it's pretty unique in that way right 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 yeah.
1: and it's interesting like so going back i want to hit back on something dom talked about earlier just a moment ago about how tight this movie is and how sparse it is so when you think of like when the score first hits in it's not right when the movie starts. We get a scene before that uh, before that the audio before the the theme kicks in uh, which I think sets up it uh, gives you an immediate idea like who it, who Bruce Lee is, what this movie is then you get the soundtrack that just pumps but the scene before that is actually the last scene that they filmed in the movie and I'm talking about the famous Bruce versus the legendary especially for all us uh, gentlemen of the Husky variety, icon, <laughs> Sam O'Hung, the great yeah, Sam right. O'Hung, that we're definitely going to cover him at length because he has so many amazing movies. He's such an incredible talent. And again, for any of us larger gentlemen, this is just, you know, he's an icon for us, right? That I we mean, can... he literally starred in Enter the Fat Dragon, which I <laughs> 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 Yes, yes. Oh, we're definitely going Fat Dragon someday. Yeah. Uh, but he was brought into this, and I had read that Bruce... When he looked at the cut of the movie, he felt, you know, it was really important to him. And one thing we'll definitely touch on in a little bit, Bruce's philosophy, uh, his philosophy of martial arts and how it informs the movie. And he made sure to include scenes early in the movie where, but really, again, we can talk about this in a moment. I don't want to dig too much into that yet. But where he bluntly will just dive into, this is my philosophy of martial arts, really his philosophy of life. But he knew, like, before we do that, we need to get this movie started off with a fight. So he thought of his buddy, uh, Samo Hung, called Samo Hung up and said, Hey, I need you to come out here. Oh, we need to do a fight. Let's just start this movie. You and me sparring. We're going to fight. So they filmed this scene. The first scene that we see in the movie, it's him and Samo, These two legendary martial arts stars. We get this brief sparring battle between them. And the sad thing is this the last fight scene that Bruce Lee ever filmed uh, is, you know, we all know a- after this movie was finished, a couple months after this movie was finished filming, six days before its premiere in L.A., uh, Bruce tragically passed away. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting that the I... fight, yeah, the first movie we see here is the last, last fight scene he ever filmed. And even though Game of Death came out later, as I mentioned before, Game of Death, he had been recording... Before Enter the Dragon, when Enter the Dragon came up, basically left that and said, oh, this is the movie I'm trying to make. Did that, and then uh, someday if we do Came to Death, we can talk about that more later. That was kind of spliced together, yes. uh, the, riding the tremendous wave that this movie created. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, really interesting. Again, we get to see Samo. They're just one of the many crossroads that, again, if you look at martial arts cinema, martial arts movies, it's impossible to look at them without considering talking about Samo Hung and yeah. he's in this movie with Bruce. First thing.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And game of death is like, uh, you know, when like uh, a major, you know, music artist dies and they release all his B cuts. Like right. that's what game of death is to yeah. be like, Oh, here's all these deleted scenes that we're going to use to make a movie. Cause we, we got to cash in on this guy and Icon died. So right. <laughs> that's interesting. Right. Always right. Interesting right. when that product
1: comes out. Right. So yeah, we get this, uh, this exciting fight, then boom, that, uh, audio kicks in and, uh, You know, sets that that score really kind of sets the tone, gives us that feel of like the the James Bond. I mean, this is like classic. I can't remember if this is exactly if we were in Roger Moore era yet. I feel like we are still in kind of classic Connery era at this time. But it seems uh,
2: like they're definitely referencing Connery, but I think Moore was starting at this point or there'd be one or two mores at this point.
1: I could be wrong. Could be. Yeah, it definitely feels yeah.
2: Connery like the. They used to do like the more travel log with Connery, like oh we're going here and look at these beautiful vistas and stuff like that. So, uh, and also just uh, the screenwriter, uh, Michael Allen. He, I mean, he's basically come out and said like you know they wanted him to make this you know kung fu action movie and he's like I, I'm. Don't know how to do that so he just used a james bond kind of outline to make that movie and that's why we even get the james bond big bad with with han and his you know cool like detachable arm of of <laughs> awesome you know <laughs> weapon yes so i mean this is yeah. definitely a, a james bond movie grafted onto a, a bruce lee movie because hollywood kind of didn't know how to make uh you know a kung fu movie at that point
1: right Right.
3: Well, it's interesting that you talk about um, – I find this movie to be interesting because it has some of the typical tropes that you get from a kung fu, like, eastern martial arts movie. Uh-huh. But I also find that they are not as much as the fo- at the forefront as they could be. So, like, let's think of the plot point. Um Bruce Lee's sister kill you know kills herself, uh, supposed herself after being chased by those so guys, ass. and that's his major. <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's like ugh. but it's the character's major motivation in the movie for going on this quest, right? Uh-huh. But aside from the epically kick-ass and kind of trippy scene where he destroys O'Hara, it's not brought <laughs> up as much. It's, right. kinda, like, it's know, definitely it's in
2: like, the background.
3: Yeah. Because you yeah. think like this is the character's motivation, the classic <laughs> vengeance fueled, you know, they <sighs> you all <know>, kind of <laughs> redeem the honor of the family. You know, like, everyone yeah. knows that trope. And right. I kind of forgot about it. And Me then too. I'm like, yeah. oh, he's gonna fight oh, he's gonna fight O'Hara. And mm-hmm. he just and and Mike said this, but I, I noticed it as well when I watched it. O'Hara didn't land a single shot <laughs> on on Lee. He just yeah. beats the hell out of him and mm-hmm. then kills him and makes that face. In, that in, in face. The the face, but is you so know great. the face where it's yeah. like. Yep. <laughs> That's the
2: classic, classic Bruce and, face. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and they have like the and, and like the theremin music. I think is at that point, and it's just like <laughs> I was like. This is a crazy acid trip of a scene. I absolutely Oh love yeah. It. But then he's like, okay, I'm over it. You know, he's now... It's, right, back to the... My, yeah. Right. Back to the James Bond sister. movie. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, right. And, and and I think that's an interesting thing, we, and I'm sure we'll bring it up a little later, but this movie is extremely progressive in the way that it depicts martial arts movies in that it... Bruce Lee's whole style and his whole philosophy on martial arts is very pragmatic it was very very modern for the time and this movie almost shows a maturation of the martial arts film into the modern age away from that classic ancient china ancient japan kind of tropes of honor and protection and you know rivalry into this espionage thing and also like you said Han you know they paint Han to be this Evil martial arts masters. He's yeah. a crook. That's all Really? He is. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's, a, just he's a thug. thug. He's a scumbag. That's it. And you know, <laughs> How- he sells girls and he sells drugs. He's, he does he's all the mobster. Bad Right. Yeah, he's a yeah. mobster. <laughs> he's an amputee mobster with a cool name <laughs> and a fake voice. And that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, which is great. But that is a modern thing. You know, mm-hmm. he's not the guy at the end of the you know, at the top of the mountain who it's like, oh, I need to fight this guy to win back my honor. It's like, no, this guy's gotta go. He's a he's a jerk, you know, yeah. and, it, and that seems more like James Bondy in its way.
2: Absolutely. I mean, at one point, he's stroking a, a white cat, just like, yeah. oh, yeah. James oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like
1: so he almost he almost
3: decapitates that yeah. white cat, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. A great scene.
3: I don't know guillotine as office decor. I think it should be a thing. It's just me. I don't know. I should have one in my office. My students would be much more polite. They'd come in, statue are the lawyer. I think you owe me three points, and I'd be like, and I'd take you. the cloth off and be like, why don't you take a seat? and they'd be like, ha, ha. I you know so the scene
1: with the cat there when you see the guillotine. I yeah. looked at that. I watched that a couple times because you first you see the case with all the hands right. He has all yeah. these different hands that he could possibly use. And I feel like we kind of got robbed that we needed more hands. We needed more interchangeable hands, even That's though the like the triple steel claw thing that he had, like before the Wolverine claws when he was out in the the field, that was pretty cool. But there, yeah. there was like a bird claw in there. I really wanted to see that bird claw in action. Like maybe just random stuff where he'd like be
2: making dinner and he'd have like a deep <laughs> <and laughs> right, right, like, right.
1: right, right,
2: right, 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 right.
1: Mix it up. Right. But aside, so aside from that case, or next to that case, there's the guillotine, right? And I swear, like, that guillotine looks really small. It does. Like, it's the a hole hand. in it? I mean, the case so was it for cat? or I almost, with the hand thing there, I was like, is that, like, you want to put on one of these hands, you need to put your hand in this, That's like, it's a hand guillotine? Because <laughs> I think right in the story, right. Well, in the story, don't they establish that, like, he lost his hand through, like, being shot or something, right? And that's the whole because the the crux I know Michael Allen had said going into this is we want to do a martial arts movie, but in the the twentieth century back in the seventies, which now is almost almost fifty years ago, which is crazy to think this movie is almost fifty years Shut old. Um, you know <laughs> that uh, that the producers and Michael Allen were had thought, well, why wouldn't you? And I think it's probably a good question. If the British British intelligence, who I don't know if Braithwaite ever says who the we is they're representing, but I mean it's MI six, right? Like it's basically it's he's like what else is it right? Bond? But I don't know. Bond must be doing something else. But like <laughs> if this guy if this guy has this island, why wouldn't you just like send the SAS or like the British Royal Marines into here and just you know in twenty minutes take this place out? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're like, how do you have an action movie? Without guns, because we can't if if there's guns, then, you know, obviously, as uh, Harrison Ford famously showed in martial arts, if you got a revolver exactly. and Raiders of the Lost Art, excuse me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got a gun that's that generally trumps fancy fighting.
2: I, I love it, though, because we cracked this movie. We're we're making an American movie like, why not guns? Like we're America, guns. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Oh, you're going to have a villain. And it's going to be set at an island where he doesn't allow guns. Like right. what other, like kung fu movie, you know, Golden Harvest. I've never, like, in my mind, thought like, why aren't they using guns in this? Obviously, they're mostly like period films, so right. it sort of right. makes sense. But I, I wasn't thinking about that. But I just love that it's like this is for an American audience. They're going to want it. The first question is going to be, "Where's the gun?" So I just right. love that. That's a major plot point. Bruce Lee even calls it out in the movie where he's like, "He does. He's like, why, why don't, don't I just don't? shoot them?" And just like
1: right. <laughs> I like that he's right. He's like, "Why don't I just yeah." Another thing, though, I found, just speaking of weapons in this movie, so apparently this movie was the first time, or at least they perceived the producers the first time in a Western movie that nunchucks were used. Mm -hmm. So they said there's a scene when Bruce is doing his uh, human fly routine, sneaking through the caves, and he comes upon a guard that's just kind of going through uh, whatever room that he's sneaking into and there's one of the golden lion dog statues and the guard clangs the nunchuck against the against the statue and they said they put that in there intentionally because they didn't think that any western audience knew what a nunchuck was so they needed to show them these are hard sticks right and so they made that that clang time so you would know that yes when you see these things flying around like these are heavy hard pieces of wood on a chain that are being whipped around at lightning speeds. Yeah. I just, even another thing they've introduced, like they were saying with this film,
2: because it was probably common, you know, in china and stuff with kung fu films was the uh the sound effects they said the special effects of the movies were all the you know the blows connecting and stuff like that like that was brand new to american audiences and it caught a lot of people off guard and to this day when i watch it it's some of my favorite stuff not only bruce's noises but the impact noises of punches and the kick, it's just, the bully work is just it's so much fun
3: Oh, it well, actually, is actually. Actually, I'd love to comment on that because um, that's another thing that, like, and and I feel like before I, I was criticizing the movie, and I wasn't that I said it sounded dated, but it's very interesting that the style that they use in this movie is where it was they all the sound effects and all the dialogue were dubbed over. It's done like um, you know, like those spaghetti westerns, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the, the yep. Clint Eastwood movies, yep. where you know they so have some. I, don't get me wrong. The Good, Bad, and Ugly is one of the best movies ever made, but the dubbing is not the best dubbing ever made. Right? <laughs> this <laughs> movie, I feel, does it better. But it it it's like that idea of using the sound effects that are clearly not real, but almost better for that fact. Better that than not reality, real. right? It, yeah, it, yeah, totally agree. It, it, yeah, and I remember I was like, to me, like I said, watching this in the late '90s, it felt dated, but I was like, this is. But, like, it's classic. It's really what it is. It's this classic feel. And I feel like kung fu movies took the, the cinematic styles of the 60s and 70s and really elevated it in this way. Although I also would like to note that Han, they didn't actually use his voice for the voiceover. He had another guy do his voice. And I heard he was pretty unhappy with it. I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's just interesting how, you know, the because we think of movies, we think of like you know the I don't know what do they call them the the booms the the mic yeah. what do they call yeah, it yeah we we think about that but no in in this movie they probably didn't even bother with any of that stuff and they're like we'll make this sound cool later
1: yeah I believe that the movie was filmed entirely without sound and that like you said every I mean even John Saxon, Jim Kelly uh, Bruce all of them right they all dubbed their lines afterwards. As you mentioned, all the sound effects. Uh, I did want to touch on. So you mentioned Han and how he was dubbed. So an interesting story I found out about this. Originally, Han was supposed to be played by a different actor, Han Ying Che, who was with Bruce in The Big Boss. Big, I think Big Boss and Fist of Fury. I I know. Big Boss was originally titled Fist of Fury, so I always get confused if they're talking about the two different movies or just Big Boss Before it was renamed. But he was with Bruce before, and apparently there was issues that... Uh, I he ticked Bruce off <laughs> during... I think it was afterwards and kind of how he... The credit that he took for his role in Big Boss. So this movie... So this role was originally written for him. Why his name is Han in the movie, because... Uh, you kind of touched on it before, um, Dom, that Bruce Lee's character is Lee. Um, interesting, another character, another one of the awesome cameos that's another guy, We especially his fights, we have to talk about, is the famous Bolo Young. Uh, the Bolo Young, Bolo's not actually his name, and he adopted it. From uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he adopted it after this movie because yeah, he well. was so known by it that he just said, "Well, now I'm Bolo," so that everyone will identify this is Bolo from Enter the Dragon, and it became his name. Uh, yeah,
2: but everyone that, in this movie got juice from it; like they all had like many careers, or at least the start of a great career because of this film.
3: Right, he'll well, I be Chong he'll always be Chongli. I don't oh, care. I'm totally with you. Yeah. When Chongli in that, we'll, we'll talk about Bloodsport another time. We have to, or I quit. Yeah, like, I, I, that's, that's it. The Walking Woman has laid
1: down the uh, laid down the gauntlet. Bloodsport the gauntlet. is happening. <laughs> you <laughs> heard it here, folks. Bloodsport is coming.
3: <laughs> he makes that face, that like evil grin, that like. He basically did the Willem Dafoe face before Willem Dafoe. Did. <laughs> you know
0: what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh,
3: yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Scary. And pecks for days. And cheese <laughs>
1: <laughs> Right, right. He's a monster. He's just yes. such a, yeah. Oh, such absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and with our, our other our main villain, Han, the actor that actually played him was Shek Kin, uh, who was another classic, well-known hong kong actor i believe had been in films with bruce's father so kind of of that generation with bruce's father and that part of bruce's interest in having him in this movie you know when he decided han ying che was done was dead to him was that seeing this classic actor with him would be kind of a handoff from one generation of great hong kong movie entertainment stars that we would see the, the, the torch being passed from one generation to the next, and it's just sad although, that. I
2: was going to say, although that um, they did not use his voice. Um, I, apparently he did most of his fighting. So for for no, you know, gentleman, he's he's pretty limber. Like I was pretty impressed. Oh yeah, what he was doing. So although yeah. um, I, I think jumping anchors, I wanted us to so we'll get back to this um, to say our, our, kind of our favorite action moment. So not like a yes. fight, but like a specific part of the fight. My, my favorite thing by far is um, it's the fight at the end between uh, Han and Lee. And um, they do that thing where it's Hans. It's like over the shoulder and then Bruce kick him and this whole, like his whole person. just It's almost like, did you ever had that thing when you were a kid where it was like the, the inflatable kind yeah. of punching <laughs> bag and it, and it just tips over when you punch it. Like, uh-huh. and, Oh, just <laughs> it's like oh, it's such a gorgeous because it clearly wasn't him it was like a you know some weird dummy it's
1: just such a beautiful kick and just he leaves oh yeah up. it's so great yeah well talking about the fighting i think it's a great segue to talk about the trio of stars in this movie the obviously bruce is our star but his partners here and john saxon and jim kelly as roper and williams who, side note, it's interesting, they establish their characters early uh, and I love how they establish them, especially William's story, where the cops hassle him and then he like beats the hell out of him and yes. like leaves him on the ground where a dog attacks him and he takes off in their car. In their car. I'm yeah. like, this yeah. guy's just <laughs> as immediately as <laughs> badass as you could get, right? Um, GTA but, way before
3: GTA. Yes.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Um, and, but there's this whole backstory that they referenced there that Roper and Williams knew each other from Nam and I'm like, I want a prequel movie where we get, I want Roper and Williams in Nam. I want that movie. Uh, um, But uh, the actors themselves, so obviously we know Bruce and we'll probably talk more about uh, Bruce's martial arts and his background there. His credentials are without parallel. But also these guys, uh, John Saxon was I think a Shotokan karate black belt. Um, Jim Kelly, they actually found at a karate school, in Crenshaw, like I think it was what days, be- days or weeks yeah. before the movie they had was filmed. Yeah, right. They found him, brought him in, and so he again, legit martial artist. Um,
3: and then yeah, he, he ran his own school. I think it was karate too. I think right. He might have been Shuriken or I'm not really sure, but he was definitely right. Legit skill. Yeah. Right.
1: And then we have uh, you mentioned O'Hara before, John Wall, who is also an accomplished martial artist who sadly just passed away just, I think, a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So R.I.P. John Wall. Legendary actor. But again, all these people who came into this had serious, legitimate martial arts backgrounds. Uh, One of the things, I think it was Matt mentioned earlier, that the difference between this and some of the other, the movies that we love when we talk about, like, especially some of the Shaw movies, that we'll definitely get into sooner than later. Um, You know, a lot of those are really inspired by the uh, the Chinese opera, um, and that it almost, some of the fights and some of those movies look almost more like dancing than fighting, but it's clear, like, in this movie with the casting and the way they were shot, like, these are fights. They are filming fights, and they wanted people in this movie that could fight. Yeah, I think that's interesting
2: about that, too, is it, it almost... A lot of times, like the blocking alone feels very modern. And I, I think that all comes from Bruce because even in the script, they wouldn't script out, you know, traditionally in action movies, you script out, you know, the action, but they would just right. leave a spot like this will be choreographed by Mr. Lee on set. So. Right. right. And so I, it, it's all him. <laughs> like he not only understands, you know, what, you know, all the, I don't know the martial arts stuff as well as Dom does, but he not only understands that piece of it, but he also understands how it's being filmed, what he can show. Like, it just a lot of this stuff looks like it's connecting. It's not. It's just he just knows where the camera's got to be, where the blocking has to be. Um, it's just so impressive. And it, again, r- really modern. And I think even just still to this day, you know, we watching John Wick or something like that. Like, a lot of that blocking is, is you know, started kind of in this movie. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but yeah, I feel like there is DNA there.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, to comment on, on Bruce Lee's fighting style, the third act is essentially him showing off Jeet Kune Do, and which is and he does uh, such a good job of it. Um you'll notice in, in in the way that he fights, he never really and this is a Jeet Kune Do thing, he never really overextends himself. You notice he doesn't throw many roundhouse punches. He always has his fist out kind of part way. It's never cocked back like a Western boxer, and it's never outstretched too far. Jeet Kune do always wants you kind of at that middle ground. So you can do these lights like, like little pops. And always his stance is very sideways because Jeet Kune do, it's like 80-20. You want to have one side of you forward, another side back. You want to hit like 80% with the side that's forward. And you'll notice that he does that throughout. And it's this superb display. Also, keep in mind, he's always on his toes. That's another thing about Jeet Kune Do. It's all about these quick strikes without... Overextending yourself without using too much strength, and you're always able to move, but you're not wearing yourself out. So, even though Bruce Lee looks like he was carved from friggin' Marvel, like Marvel, sorry, Marvel, Marvel. I mean, he is a
1: Marvel, (laughs) he's a Marvel
3: carved from Marvel, but his his martial (laughs) art is very efficient, it's very quick. Um, It's never overextending. And the scene where he fights all the thugs in, in, you know, in the lair basement, basically, like, it's just a superb display of how efficient he is. And and I think he really does wonders with it. I mean, don't get me wrong, he shows off, he does a lot of spinning back kicks, which might be a little unnecessary. Sure. You know, he knew also what people wanted to see. And that's what I think is great. Jeet Kune Do and his style of martial art is extremely efficient and extremely pragmatic, but he also understood that there's certain things that people want to see more. So like when he shows off with the nunchucks, totally unnecessary, totally kick ass. So I'm okay with it. Another thing is Jeet Kune Do has a lot of um, grappling in it, but there's actually not very much grappling in the movie. And I read that, that Bruce, did not really feel that grappling has as much cinematic flair to it, which, which I kind sense. of agree with. Sure. I and mean, I watch, I watch UFC and people who don't know grappling are like, what are they doing down there? But <laughs> they love the punches and kicks. But when, you know, everyone, they're like, you know, when you're in guard, they're like, what are, what are they doing? You know? And I think right. he, he realized that even though there's a lot of catch wrestling that was incorporated into Jeet Kune Do. Um, it's it's just it's a superb example of his fighting style and just him. It's, it's like him at his his peak and really showing off that efficient, effective, pragmatic martial art that is just you know I'm going to dispatch you as quickly as possible, as effectively as possible, and still have enough energy to do to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy right, the next right. Guy. And it makes sense because he was taught by Ip Man, who did Wing Chun, which is like. A very kind of quick strikes, you know, pop, 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 and get out of there as quickly as possible. And mm-hmm. Geek seem to seem to have a lot of those aspects as well, as well as other things from other martial arts. Right. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but... Bruce Lee did not have a commitment to any style of martial art. He was like, if it works, use it. If it doesn't, get it out of here. And, and he actually referred to it as old kung fu styles and traditional martial arts with moves that you either can't practice on people or don't work. He called it like a beautiful mess. And he's like, why are we doing all this? Hmm. And everything is so efficient and pragmatic. And I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to back away from that.
1: Oh, it's great to well, Keep rambling. Well well and you really touch on one of the things that's a theme throughout this movie in a a lot of different ways is old versus new the old world versus the new world you know from the the harbor scene where you see these junks that could have come out of a you know an old chinese movie uh, right in the harbor with these more modern boats um you know, again, just this concept. Of there's this martial arts, this tournament going on, and uh, but there's also drugs and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of that. Uh, the old versus new, and kind of that, those worlds colliding a little bit. And, and you're right that we see some of that in the that that a lot of that falls on. You know, is related to Bruce's philosophy. Like, I mean, we them aside from the fight scene. We have several moments where bruce is just straight up passing his philosophy first to the shaolin monk
2: bruce actually stops to like deliver some knowledge and, and like get his agenda across and I, I just love that because he's he's not only wanting to be a star and kind of be a you know an icon of some fa- like he just was desperate to be a star but also he's like i i also have all this philosophy i'm gonna drop on you and, he, and there's like you said there's little sections in the movie like the thing well, he's like he tells the kid look at the finger he's like you're, you're missing you're missing the Grand Vista behind the finger. Right, right. Yeah,
3: how awesome is that? Yeah, the it's a really cool Miss line, all the splendor like, above. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, man. I would argue that the movie, he's, he's actually critiquing the old-fashioned martial arts throughout the movie in extremely subtle ways. I mean, think about it. He has his philosophy, which he came up with in his 20s, okay, that he said that he you know, he puts forth in this movie as some sort of ancient monk philosophy. I always found that funny watching this movie that he's, he's talking about his philosophy. And the first time I saw it, I'm like, this must be like ancient wisdom. Now the guy came up with it like five years beforehand. That doesn't right. take away from how <laughs> great it was, but he's pitching it as ancient wisdom, right. of, like monks, and yeah, he is. which is not true at all. Also, there's, <laughs> there's other things. There's other things too. Like, um, so just little things. So, for example, um, all the bad guys on the island are doing the chakazuki, uh, you know, like punches, uh, sh- uh, straight punches, you know, where they're standing there yeah. and like one punch and the other punch. And they're all wearing like the Japanese style karate gis. And he doesn't join them at all. And he never wears a gi. He never wears wow, the old fashioned outfits. Ever,
1: well, he wears the ever. traditional kung fu. Yeah. Outfit. But.
3: But Han explicitly said yeah. he, oh, uh, yeah. these outfits, and he's like, nope, he not, not doing it. I, I, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So in, in a way, this movie, it's a little subversive in, in that he's trying to pitch his style of martial Absolutely. arts. Which, which uh, another thing to comment on is I feel that he approached martial arts in a very athletic way. And when I say that he approached it like an athlete. Because, like, when we think of martial arts, like traditional martial arts, you think of, you know, martial arts helps you be a better person. You know, you become a more, you know, full and well-rounded and holistic uh, person through martial arts. Which, by the way, I agree with. Um, but Bruce Lee was like, you train for martial arts. He devoted his life to martial arts. He was an athlete like that was on his mind the food he ate his philosophy on life was all how do i get better at doing this so it's almost backwards from it it's not martial arts makes you a better person it's almost like you make yourself a better person so you can be this level of martial art and then it circles back and and i think it's a fascinating fascinating approach and unlike anything that came before it absolutely not traditional at all (laughs) awesome point but he as yeah, traditional, which I think is yeah. Hysterical. That's cool.
1: You're right. He does. <laughs> but it's just with all of that, but you get you feel throughout this movie, whether it's just the looks on it, like the, when I watch this, I see the just that swagger and confidence that he has. And uh, you know, I watch this and I I see like Bruce acting in this movie, knowing we nailed it. This is going to be huge. I'm going to be the man, and, and not even even though there's. Based on who you talk to, you know, how much of a level of arrogance Bruce had or not. um, I I think if I had the talent that I did, I would probably be pretty confident in myself. And, uh, you know, but he, I, either way, again, the confidence is obvious just in how he carries himself in this movie. But I think through the fights, through that philosophy, I think there's a lot of it knowing, you know, we're going to not take, this isn't a traditional what we've seen but you know what's been brought before in the kung fu realm we're giving you a james bond movie with fighting but that he's putting in this philosophy whether it's through his words or his punches right that he's preparing the western audience for uh, i'm going to tell you a message and i'm going to give you a different concept of what is what what martial arts is what what these movies are I'm going to set all this up for you. And it's, it just adds to the tragedy of what happened to him that that everything that followed that comes from this. Like, Bruce was intentionally setting up with all of that in this movie. And as we know, sadly, like, he wasn't around to see it. He didn't yeah, get to see this movie good. premiere. He didn't get to see the, And maybe it's better, they're like, dozens of fake Bruce Lees, like, Bruce Lee, L.I., Bruce Lay bruce l e i we could get into the the numerous imitators later that happened afterwards but um yeah it's really impressive this is like you could just tell from again his action and his words to bruce this is more than just i'm gonna beat up a bunch of people on an island and i'm gonna look like a super bad tough guy but i mean he's given us a lecture right like yeah. Not only mm. like physically, like the
2: way I love just the way he delivers his lines. He's just so the way he speaks. It's almost like he's delivering words as 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 punches and kicks. He's like I won't even imitate it because this would be terrible. But right. I, his cadence is just so specific. It's almost like a like a walk in thing where his just delivery is so iconic that it's just you know I, I just love how he talks. It's
1: I can't say enough about the guy. He's great. Right. Right. It the one thing that makes me mad about that. Is then going back, if you watch any reruns of Kung Fu, the TV show, yeah. you know, as much as that made Carradine iconic, um, knowing like this should have been Bruce, like all the things that like that David Carradine is famous from, like that should have been him. He right. should have been putting, how Absolutely. great would that show? And I mean, I think it's a great show, uh, you know, it, it, and it was also really big and uh, bringing Kung Fu to Western audiences, the martial art itself. But uh, again, man, uh, you know, Carradine is great, but (laughs) Carradine, who didn't even know Kung Fu before that came, like, I think he had heard the word like once before he was cast. (laughs) Like if that had been Bruce in there, and just again, I just think of like all the like the great lines the Carradine had. You're right, like if that was Bruce, oh man. But yeah. we don't need to sidetrack too much there. He has a killer um, delivery, you know. He's a really good actor and not only, you know, just he does gifted
2: martial he artist, does. but but he's a, he's a I, star
3: as you comment on it how he knew he was a star because he was he was an innovator like he 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 believed in his philosophy he knew he was at the top of his game which i've heard people talk about like jiu jitsu do and his style of martial arts it's like it's easier to do his martial art if you're like him who is an exceptional athlete who trained his body and his mind so his delivery and his confidence is just It's a result of the fact that he knew that he had innovated something that would be effective and a philosophy that would endure for years, Uh, I mean, mixed martial arts and the more pragmatic view of martial arts, which is sometimes controversial. Should it be more traditional or should it be more pragmatic? That idea of pragmatism, of effectiveness, if it doesn't work, it's useless. That endures to today it really is he modern martial arts is essentially a product of him you know him as well as you know modern judo and things like that but that 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 idea that you know i'm here to learn how to fight properly and convey a philosophy that results in the most effective and efficient way of getting to my opponent is is really the most influential thing in modern martial arts and it's all him. So he was, oh, yeah. he knew it. He knew it. He knew that this was going to go to where it is now. I feel, I feel he, oh, yeah. I feel he, he breathed that confidence. It was very impressive.
1: Well, speaking of another type of Bruce delivery, <laughs> uh, something <laughs> I've found. So, you know, we talked about the fight. We'd mentioned before the fight scenes, his fights in the cave where he's just slaughtering people left and right with, Uh, just beating them up um you know famously one of those actors that he just obliterated was jackie chan who if there's anyone even close to bruce lee's stature in western martial arts cinema it's clear it's jackie chan right i mean jackie chan um is like 1b i think for the like popular western audience behind bruce's 1a and so jackie chan is in you really have to like watch closely to recognize him in it he's in there in a flash a few times but i it was interesting i guess a few years ago on bruce lee the bruce lee foundation's instagram page he related a story from there so one of the times that he fights bruce is when bruce has is fighting with the sticks and i guess he went in uh, from what he told in that story, he went in and Bruce hit him with the stick and, you know, they're very careful about like pulling the punches and, you know, there's a lot with it when you watch, like most of the time that he doesn't connect, like he's just so fluid, you know, they aren't actually connecting. Um, and it's really astounding. You know, we kind of talked about that a little bit before, like how smoothly he's able to move through and not hit. But in this instance, she really hit Jackie and <laughs> Jackie had said that he, so we got whapped by Bruce and uh i forget if it was the stick or the bow but in that sequence there he got whapped, and he said bruce just like looked at and realized like i really knocked this kid and just kept this like solid look until the director called cut and then bruce went up to him and was like oh no are you okay i'm so sorry and jackie said that he's like well i wanted to be a really big tough guy because you know, if you're a martial artist, like you're a tough guy, but he's like, but I just wanted Bruce to hold me. So I just told him it really hurt. And I just have this image of like Bruce Lee hugging, like kid Jackie Chan Chan, and like kid Jackie Chan, just (laughs) feel like Bruce Lee's hugging me, Bruce Lee's hugging me. you And it's just a fun thing, like seeing that. Then again, just knowing, you know, when you look at carrying martial arts into popular Western culture, you know, I, especially again, popular American view. Jackie Chan is really the guy that did that the most. And you know, when you talk about movies like Rush Hour and the uh, Shanghai Noon, uh, you know, movies that people don't necessarily are going to see, seeking out martial arts movies. Like they'll go and see a Jackie Chan movie because Jackie Chan. So just like Samuel Hung being in this before, and Bolo Young and our connection to the great blood sport. Um, <laughs> you know, we have Jackie Chan in here, All it's just like, you know, it's funny that like Bruce had this whole idea, uh, this concept with, uh, check Khan um, as Han passing along the torch to him, but we also kind of see this torch being passed that we know now with, you know, 50 years of hindsight that like, oh, there's also that uh, torches passed to like then the next generation that carried on after him and all that. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, with all these people, and it's like the, I, I
2: think I already said this, but it's like the, like the big bang of uh, modern, you know, Kung Fu movies, because it started, I don't know, again, this is probably not the first movie Jackie Chan was in or something like that. But it's sort of their first, I don't know, like, where they made an impression, not so much Jackie, because with Samo, you clearly see it, Sam-O, and right. o gets some great scenes, too. But I, I had to actually, I watched the movie twice, and I'm like... I, I'm not seeing Jackie Chan and I had to go to YouTube and yeah. you know, like slow down like Zabruder film like frame by frame. You're like, there's his face. and like, oh, okay. I guess
1: it's. You know, Chan. Once Right. Once you know, once you know which guy he is, that's gotten beaten up, right. then you can watch it and you can kind of see as he's like screaming yes, and in right. pain, you're like, oh, I, well, I'm used to, if you watch Jackie Chan movies, you're used to seeing him be screaming in pain, right? <laughs> no, no one does, ah, oh, man, that hurts, but then still does amazing things. Like Jackie Chan, right? Um, right. Yes. So, uh, foreshadowing his entire career to mm-hmm. to come. But, Very true. Um, what else, guy? Oh, so one other thing. So we talked about like the fluidness and speed. Um, so I'd read. We talked about the nunchucks before, and I was listening to the commentary, and one of the producers, Paul Heller, was saying said repeatedly that. All the action we see in this movie nothing is sped up it's all it's either full speed or sped down so like the nunchuck scene when he's just whipping up, 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 up like that's real time there's no speed enhancement there like he's really moving that fast all just that fluid fastness like that's natural bruce like if anything they have slowed it down to be easier for you to see so it's just impressive to know like uh, yeah, I could look really fast in my fat slowness if I, you know, s- 32 times the speed of me doing something. It's still probably going to look slow, but... Um, it's so fast. But one of the scenes, and I was talking with Dom a little bit about this earlier, just briefly. So one of the, my favorite scenes that is I heard is also in full full speed is the scene where he comes up with this incredible idea to capture a cobra um so i again this is what paul heller was saying on the commentary that that cobra is a real live cobra that's a real cobra that he is capturing and when he captures it he real like that's his actual speed like it really is here's a cobra here's a bag bruce get this cobra or really because bruce controlled everything it's bruce saying i have the bag i'm gonna get this cobra uh so they were saying in the movie or uh, Paul Heller was saying that prior to this, they milked the, the Cobra's venom to venom out. Venom out. But I want to know. So aside from all the amazing things that I, you know, lauded our walking weapon with here, he is also a herpetologist. So Dom, I want to know, I don't like, <laughs> can you, if you milk a Cobra, is that like he's now he's just not dangerous or it's like a, okay. It's just less like, like how much danger was Bruce actually in doing this? Cause I feel like watching it, my gut says, yeah, he probably still could have gotten killed, but that's a good question.
3: <laughs> okay, so that's a lot to unpack. First of, <laughs> of all, first of all, for the audience, herpetologist means the study <laughs> of reptile and amphibians. My mother still laughs when I go, mom, I'm a herpetologist. She's like, I'm like, come on, Really? <laughs> really? You know, anyway, so... Yes, I, I study, specifically, uh, my field of research is reptile anatomy. Um, so I can speak to this a little bit. Um, so so cobras, they're part of the Lapidae, which belongs to a larger group um, called, you know, which are the elapid snakes that occur in, um, they occur in Australia, they're in Africa, they're in Asia, okay? And they have they have fangs for injecting venom and the fangs don't fold back. So they're not like rattlesnakes because rattlesnakes fangs fold back and then they can flip them up. Um, But you can milk them. You can milk uh, those both types of venomous snakes. And the way you do it um, is you essentially take a thing like a cup and you stick like a screen over the cup and then you push the head of the snake down and put pressure on the venom glands, which are basically just salivary glands and the venom comes out. Okay. Now, Cobras, true cobras, which belong to the genus Naya, uh, but it's spelled Naja, and AJA if anyone wants to look it up. Um, they have several different toxins that they can have in their venom. They can have neurotoxins, which inhibit the ability for neurons to work. They can have cardiotoxins, which can stop your heart from beating properly. And then they have cytotoxins, which cause cells to die and explode. All fun stuff. Or, or all three, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, all can be fatal, and I'm pretty sure all all of the Naya species are fatal. Um, they recently increased the number of... Of those snakes, to 38 species. So when I was trying to figure out which species of cobra this was, I was like, Oh, "Come on, guys!" But I'm pretty sure it's the kind, uh, the Chinese cobra, which is Naya atra, because uh, it's really common in that area, and this was filmed in, um, you know, in, in Hong Kong. So it's probably that one. Um, so yeah, here's the thing with with venomous snakes: is when you milk them, they are out of venom for the most part, or at least. At least, you know, soon after, venom is a very expensive thing because it's basically saliva with a ton of enzymes and compounds that are very expensive for the snake to make. Right, so the snake doesn't want to waste them anyway. And after you drain it, it's definitely not going to, um, not going to want to use up its venom, especially for defense. Because remember, venom is not for defense; it's for. Killing prey, so a lot of times what venomous snakes will do is when they bite, they won't even inject venom. They'll just be like, Ugh! "Psych!" and like it's like a warning shot. And in fact, there's a lot of rattlesnakes where a good percentage of their bites on humans are dry bites. So, really, was Bruce? Yeah, so was Bruce in danger? Uh, I mean, there might have been a little venom there, and that's not going to be fun, but it's probably not going to be enough to kill him. And I heard that the snake did bite him. So it was probably... Yeah, so it was like he was either a dry bite... Or there was enough venom taken out of the gland that it hadn't been able to replenish. Um,
1: Interesting. Okay. Also, all right.
3: Also, I'd be interested to know where this snake came from. Was it was it a, a zoo specimen? Because snakes in zoos are used to being handled. I mean, to be fair, he did literally whap the snake on the head. So
2: he <laughs> <didn't at least laughs> he did out. aggravated. Yeah. I, mean, like, <laughs> I love like, that.
3: I remember seeing that. I was like, "What? what? It's a why? Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's. I yeah. feel like."
1: in the commentary Mm -hmm. uh paul heller made it sound like uh, i could have been hearing this wrong but he almost made it sound like oh there's cobras all over out there so the impression i got was that it's like they just found a cobra and are like let's put this here And
3: hopefully it wasn't quite like that considering Bruce well didn't die from that it's pr- it was probably safe. But, you know, it is a venomous snake. You you should really mess with them. So it's, pretty, it's still pretty impressive. So I'd like to add that although uh, Bruce and the crew were hedging their bets by milking the snake, I'd also like to add that, you know, this isn't foolproof and it could have gone south because they could have not milked the snake right. It could have had a larger than typical uh, venom load or that could have been – it's a wild animal, so who knows. So even though they thought it was a good idea – I personally do not think it was a good idea, and i just like to tell the audience out there, if you're dealing with a venomous snake, milked or not, do not touch it. Leave it alone, because I don't want anyone listening to this show and getting bit, and then we'd lose a fan, and I wouldn't like that.
1: Dom, I'd just like to say, after having this conversation and this <laughs> whole concept of milking the snakes that uh, I am eternally thankful that when you and me were in college, you did not possess this knowledge. I don't think you did. And we did, we're did. not living in a place where there was, like, rattlesnakes or something. Because I could see a, like, late night after, like, the bars closed. be are like, dude, let's go milk that snake. You could totally milk that rattlesnake. And <laughs> we might not be having this podcast no, right now. No. So, <laughs> interesting. You come for the kung fu, and you also get some herpetology. I will... Yeah, I for future movies we need to really pay attention to where we can bring reptiles I into totally this agree. because this the bonus knowledge here is really what I think makes us without compare in the in the world of mighty cinema analysis. But cuz I'm fascinated now the the fangs can
2: still tag you pretty good right and break the skin yeah, and absolutely. blood loss and yeah.
3: Uh, so so snake teeth are very, they're very gracile. They're very thin. So they'll puncture uh, and pull out very quickly. Okay. I've been bitten, I've been bitten several times by non venomous snakes. Um, <laughs> wow. Funny story one time I was going, I got, I went camping. And I decided to swim in a reservoir in Allegheny State Park in Pennsylvania, and I might have had a beer or two, and <laughs> water snakes kept swimming by me. Like, Nerodia is the proper name. Well, it kept swimming by me, and I'm just like, yoink, and I just pick one up, and the snakes just, like, chomp and bites my hand. And I'm there with a friend of mine, and he's he turns white. He's like, what? What are you doing? And I'm like, look, it's a water snake. It's biting my head. How cool is that? And he's just <laughs> like, Are you gonna die? And I'm like, No, it's fine. So I pull it off. I put it back gently. The snake is fine. I'm bleeding. Another one by. <laughs> I do the same thing. The snake's fine. I'm bleeding. You know. <laughs> you know. I mean, but but it's because they have very very thin teeth and they're built gotcha. to kind of lock on like that. So the ven- so the 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 fangs are built to go in, inject the venom, and pull out Get as out. quickly as possible. Yeah, so so he's going to have little puncture wounds, but eh, it's, nothing it's crazy. Not really. Gotcha. Yeah, it's the enzymes in the in the <laughs> venom that are, that are the uh, Okay. The best for. Yeah. I've never heard I've never heard a snake in the wild. I always treat them really well. I understand how to handle them, but like that water snakes are particularly aggressive, and I, I was like, "Yeah, go ahead, bite me. I don't care." <laughs>
1: Dom Snack treats already. the snakes in the wild like the ladies with kindness and soft
3: hands. People suck, but snakes don't. Like all I did, is snakes are like evil. I'm like, no, no, no. Snakes are snakes are good. I, I, anyone, well, the, you know, like the Whacking Day episode of The Simpsons <laughs> makes me so angry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the cobra in this movie is basically Bruce's buddy because he allowed him. He he's what caused them to. Uh, be able to call in the British secret service or whoever it was that came in at the end. Right. Um, There's
3: there's one other thing I'd like to comment on, not concerning snakes, but back to how quickly Bruce Lee moves Uh, in the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. He talks about, he, he takes time to talk about how you need to train your muscles to have a proper snap when you punch and kick. And he talks about how, you know, the one muscle on one side of one side that extends the arm or leg, you know, needs to relax while the other side that, you know, while the other side contracts and back and forth and back and forth. And he talks about how you need to train your muscles to be relaxed at the right time and tight at the right time. And that, speed is more important than power because he actually talks about force he's like force is mass times acceleration so if you have more force if you have more speed you can have more force so he really like that's not just him practicing how to punch well it's he took the time to train his muscles exactly to throw the quickest punches and the quickest kicks. And it's just, it's exceptional. Watching him is a treat because I don't think 99.99% of people can't even imagine moving as fast as him because he was so conscious of how to move his muscles and move his skeleton. I I, I think it's astonishing.
1: And, and just yeah. watching and knowing, like, none of that sped up. That's all, like, he naturally yeah. moved that fast. Is just, it's wild. Um,
2: well, they said, like, a lot of times um, he'd get growing injuries because he'd be moving so fast, but he would then not make contact because, obviously, you know, it's for the camera. So he'd constantly, like, pull his groin because he's moving so fast, but then he would not contact with anything because he's, you know, the contact looks like it's on screen and the stuntman's, you know, snapping back like
1: they got hit. So, I mean that's that's pretty crazy oh yeah well guys we could dive into this movie like we've barely even touched on uh john saxon and jim kelly right. uh, there's so much with this movie we could but i think we've got uh we've dived into some good stuff here um you know haven't even gotten to the death of bruce lee which we could probably do an entire episode just on that and the different rumors and conspiracy theories about what happened and all that um we you should, know probably should if we ever cover game of death uh yes and you know and or if we do a part two for this thing so um you know so we'll uh before i kind of close us out here guys uh final thoughts on enter the dragon who's going first how about matt matt's been doing all our hard work here behind the scenes Matt. the floor is yours my friend i uh,
0: i think you guys have summed it up really really well it is kind of the the cornerstone of what the modern action movie comes to now um and i for snake movie i think we just have to go back and do hard target that's the only one i can think oh of. yes snake involvement right
1: yes all right excellent uh <laughs> yeah hard target john claude van damme is definitely while well, we've talked about blood sport yeah
3: i've never Jace- seen that one so let's do it oh, <laughs> jcvd is he's uh
1: he's someone that will need to be discussed all right uh
0: van damme and john woo you're in for a treat
1: oh yeah yes. i forgot that's john all right well we can't we we're wrapping up enter the dragon enter the dragon this is we have plenty of roads to go down ahead of us uh <laughs> jason final thoughts
2: go jake
3: uh,
1: okay i'll go
2: so um i don't know There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack and i think we've done it um <laughs> i was just something that was kind of touching to me is um just on that uh, blu-ray i think you had the same one mike is um they did a lot of interviews one with even like george takai and he was saying yeah you know he's one of the other people that you know c- gave like awesome like attention to asian americans and he was saying like what a big deal bruce was because before that before this movie, like a lot of times, it was they were in servant roles. You know, they, they were just servile, and, and maybe the B character. Even like in in um, Bruce's TV show, he was Cato, and he was in a mask, and he was like the the henchman for. He was know, the, the chauffeur, movie. right? Like, right, even yeah. though he fought, he was the driver, <laughs> right? It, so it's just like this is such an awesome movie for Asian Americans, and you know, really kind of redefined sort of you know their position in pop culture and that was all because of bruce and him going away back to china and sort of rebuilding himself because america rejected him and he's like i'm coming back i'm gonna get you and, and it is sad like you were saying mike because he did you know pass away before he could see you know what he ha- had been building towards for his whole life so it's a little heartbreaking but it doesn't diminish what this movie is and um i'm excited this is our first movie and i hope uh, we do a lot more of these guys
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I agree with what you guys said 100%. And, uh, you know, the impact of this movie and everything, even the sad things aside from Bruce's death, all the, the fake Bruce Lees that then came after this to ride on that wave. Uh, it doesn't diminish what Bruce gave us and the wave that he launched here. So uh, Enter the Dragon, I mean, uh, just in us leading up to it, I watched it again a couple times. And uh, every time it's it's just such a treat to watch. You know it's got something for everyone and uh yeah it's just it's there's a reason that this is registered in the library of congress archive of films um a legend i'm glad this is something that we could start with so um guys i really appreciate this time here um you know as we look ahead we'll come back Uh, right now we're shooting for an episode a month so we'll come back next month and we're going to talk about another movie that was foundational in launching this kung-fu wave in the 70s. Other big movie uh, was released in Hong Kong under the title King Boxer by the legendary Shaw Studios. I'm so excited to talk about Shaw Studios. I love Shaw Studios, Run Run Shaw, and that entire system. So King Boxer, uh, but was released in America under the title Five Fingers of Death. so another a legendary film. Anyone that's seen Kill Bill, within 30 seconds of turning on this movie, your jaw is going to hit the floor. And if you have not seen King Boxer or Five Fingers of Death. So another movie that was foundational in launching uh, the Kung Fu wave in the 70s that led to just this entire genre of films that we all love and really why we're here. So we're really excited to talk about that and bring that up next month. So we really appreciate everybody being here. Again, we are Punches and Popcorn we are the masters of couch potato style uh you can find us we're on twitter at, at punches and popcorn and at future ones i'll have all our <laughs> social media stuff like that but you know with our massive audience <laughs> yeah so um but yeah thank you for listening uh if you have uh thoughts other movies that you found uh that you love uh please uh, find us again on twitter uh let us know you know what did you love What are, what do you love about enter the dragon or what did we miss or about enter the dragon? Again, this is a movie. We got to do a part two at some point. This uh, is a lot more, right? We could, we could talk about it for days. So, um, all right. Any last words, my, uh, my humble fellow couch potato ninjas. All right. All right. Well, friends, thank you again, everybody for being here. And, uh, until next time. Be, i got we'll come up with <laughs> be well i don't yeah, know we got to have like a sign off i know we got to have yeah next time so <laughs>